to be said in Acts chapter number 2, and, and we're not going to be able to get to everything that could be taught in this chapter. We, we'd spend you know, uh, years in, in this chapter. Lord, but uh, I pray you'd uh, help us to be able to understand the subject that we'd like to uh, talk about tonight, and I, help, I pray you'd help everyone to have an open mind and to, and to just look at the scripture, and, and Lord, I pray that we'd all learn something, be challenged in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we find ourselves there in Acts chapter number 2. And, um, you know, if, look at verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. We know that the young church in Jerusalem, uh, they, they got filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke with uh, other tongues, and uh, we preached an entire sermon last Wednesday on the subject of tongue speaking. I mean, I believe we went through uh, verse by verse very thoroughly, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, and we compared Acts 2 with 1 Corinthians 14 and other passages, and, and uh, you know, we, we proved without a shadow of a doubt that uh, the tongue speaking going on in the Pentecostal movement today is not of God, and is not what happened in Acts chapter number 2. But I don't want to, you know, re-preach last week's sermon, uh, you know, I just want to mention the fact that we did touch on that. But, um, you know, I, I want to deal with another subject in Acts chapter number 2. You know, it is also commonly believed in this chapter, and I was taught this my entire life, and, um, you know, I, I'd be surprised if there's somebody here tonight who hasn't heard this, but I've always was taught, in every church I've ever been to, you know, and I'm not, you know, saying anybody's bad for teaching them, whatever, you know, but, but uh, I've been to good churches, whatever, and, and I've always been taught this. That at the day of Pentecost, you know, they spoke with tongues, you know, all of that happened. And then Peter stood up and preached the sermon. And he just had this powerful sermon, he preached the gospel, and then 3,000 people, you know, walked out an aisle and got saved, and it was a huge revival, and, and all of this happened. And you know, I, I just want to ask the question, and I want to show you from the Bible what I believe and what the Bible clearly teaches, you know, did that really happen? Is that what happened? At the day of Pentecost, did Peter stand up, preach a sermon to a crowd of unsaved uh, people, and 3,000 people responded, got saved, got baptized, and, you know, uh, walked down an aisle, like we would say uh, today, and, and got saved? Is that what happened? Now, if you look down at verse number 5, uh, I, I want to show you a few things, and I think if you look at the scriptures, you'll see... It's very clear what the Bible teaches. First thing you need to understand is that the day of Pentecost, there was two separate groups, right? The first group we find in verse 5. The Bible says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation. Do you remember we talked about that last week? Now these were Jews, but they lived in other nations. They were foreigners, you know, but they were Jew of Jewish descent. And they came back to Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a day that was uh, celebrated, a holiday, uh, 50 days after the Passover. And these Jews came into Jerusalem, out of every nation, under heaven, and they were uh, there to celebrate the day of Pentecost. Look at verse 6. Now when this was noised abroad, what was noised abroad? The fact that the, the, these people, you know, they had the cloven 
tongues of fire appear over their head, and now they're speaking in tongues, you know, they're speaking with tongues. And um, the Bible says in verse 6, now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together. So notice we have a group there. Uh, the multitude came together and were confounded. That word confounded it means they were they were confused. They were, they were trying to figure out the situation. They're saying, what is going on here? You know, they, they were confused as to what was going on. And here's why they were confounded. Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. We talked about this last week, that the Bible, uh, you know, interchanges the word tongue with languages, with language, because it's the same word. And these people, I want you to see this, there was a multitude of foreign Jews, Jew, people of Jewish descent, that lived outside of Jerusalem, in different nations, spoke different languages, and they came, and the Bible says they were confounded, because that every man uh, heard them speak in his own language. Look at verse 7. And they were all amazed. Notice the word, they, they were amazed. They were impressed. And so then they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galilee? So these people, they were amazed. They were marveling. Because they understood that these, these people who were speaking them, they were all local Galileans. They were from the local country. That they were, the Bible says that they, told, that they looked at the disciples as unlearned and ignorant men. They knew that they hadn't traveled. They knew that they hadn't been educated, you know, in different languages. And they were amazed because they could hear them speak in their own language. You see that? Look at verse 8. They said, And how hear we every man in our own tongue? You notice... In verse 6, he said, we hear them speak in our own language. In verse 8, they said, how hear we every man in our own tongue? Same word, tongue and language. He says, when we were born. So he's saying, you know, we were born in Jerusalem. We were born in different countries. How, do, how is it that we can understand these people in the language wherein we were born? Verse 9, 10, and 11, he goes through a list of where these people came from. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt and in all parts of Libya, about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. And look what they said, verse 11. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So these people were a prey. Look at verse 12. And they were all amazed. And were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? So we've got one group. They're amazed. They're marveling. They're trying to figure out the situation. They're trying to figure out how it is that these people who do not speak the, the language, they're, 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 they're from Galilee, they're locals, how is it that they can speak the language of their native country? But look at verse 13. The Bible says, Others mocking. Notice we've got a second group. The first group was the multitude that was amazed. The first group was the multitude that was confounded. The first group was the multitude that marveled. But in verse 13, we see a separate group. It says, others mocking. So there's another group who were mocking. They were laughing. And they said, these men are full of new wine. Now, you got to understand, this other group is not amazed. This other group is not confounded. This other group is not marveling. They're hearing these men speak different languages, and this is what they're thinking. These guys are drunk. Why is that? Because they don't understand the language that they're speaking. Look at verse 14. But Peter standing up with the eleven... Now, I want you to see this. Peter standing up with the eleven. That's the eleven apostles. Lifted up his voice. So we've got the twelve apostles. Peter is speaking... To one of these two groups, he says, lifted up his voice and said, Ye men of Judea. Do you see that? 
It says, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my word. So Peter begins to speak, but who is he talking to? Is he talking to everybody in the city of Jerusalem? No, he's not. Is he talking to both groups? The group that's amazed and the group that's mocking? No, he's not. He's only talking to the group that's mocking. Because, and he says, ye men of Judea, all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. He's saying, hey, you guys who live here locally. Hey, you guys who, who live here. You, you, you're from Judea. Because this group, this local group of Jews, they, they're not coming from a different country. They don't speak another language. They're watching these 120 speak in tongues, you know, with other tongues. And they don't understand it. And they're thinking, these guys are full of new wine. These guys are drunk. Look at them. They're babbling. They're, you know, because they don't understand it. And in verse 15, the Bible says, Peter is speaking to this second group that was mocking. And he says, for these are not drunken, as ye supposed... Seeing it is but the third hour of the day. He's saying, look, man, it's early in the day. These people aren't drunk. And in verse 16 he says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show you wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be be saved. Look at verse 22. Peter continues to speak to these people. He says, Ye men of Israel. So who is he talking to? People who lived in Israel. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. Notice what he says. Among you. By miracles and wonders and signs. Now think of this logically. If it's true that Peter is preaching a sermon to, you know, a crowd of unsaved people, they all came from all over the world, they just came into town last week, they're just there for the day of Pentecost, it doesn't make sense to say, hey, you know Jesus of Nazareth who was approved among you by miracles and wonders. Now look, if I just walk into town, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm wondering, who's Jesus of Nazareth? Now in, in the context we understand, Jesus just died 50 days earlier. Jesus, you know, uh, uh, was resurrected and he, and he was there for 40 days. And, and we understand, those men who live in Judea, those men who live in Israel, they know who Jesus is. They saw Him perform the miracles. They saw Him preach the sermon. But all these Jews who just came in from out of town, the ones that are amazed, the ones who speak a different language, they don't know who Jesus is. They just walked into town. But notice Peter says, Ye men of Israel, hear the words of Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. And ye yourself also know. Again, did God do the miracles by Jesus in the midst of all these people who came from Crete, who came from Rome, who came from all these other countries? No, he did not. Now, he did do the miracles in the midst of the group that Peter's talking to, the group of men who live in Israel, the locals who live there in Judea. You see what I'm saying? Look at verse 23. And him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, look what he says. Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Again, if I just walked into town, I'm here for the day of Pentecost, and Peter stands up to preach, and he says, you took Jesus, and I'm thinking to myself, who's Jesus? Because these people don't know who Jesus is. Who is Peter talking to? He's talking to locals. He's talking to people who live in Israel. He's saying, you did take him. 
And by wicked hands ye have crucified and slain him. Who God raised up and have loosed. Let, let's go ahead and uh, skip down some verses here. Uh, go down to verse number 36. Look at verse 36. Therefore, Peter continues to preach the sermon, and we saw that we read it, you know, before the before the, uh, we started the preaching service, and he he's preaching and he's quoting David and he's doing all sorts of things. But in verse thirty six he says, "Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ." Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, "Men and brethren, what shall we do?" You know, so I wanted you to see there, Peter was not talking to a bunch of foreigners that just walked into town. Peter was talking to local people, and we understand that because there's two groups. Those who understood them speaking in other tongues, speaking with other tongues, and they were amazed, and they were marveling, and they were saying, we hear them, you know, uh, we hear them speak the wonderful works of God. But Peter is addressing the group that was mocking. They could not understand it because all they speak is the language of the land. And they can't understand this other language. And they're mocking and making fun. And Peter starts preaching to them. He says, hey, come here. Let me explain to you what's going on. Remember that Jesus who you killed? Remember that Jesus who you watched perform miracles? Remember that Jesus? And they do remember that Jesus because it happened around then. But these other people, they don't know who Jesus is as of yet. Peter is addressing uh, a group of local Jews. And to really understand Acts chapter 2, you've got to understand there's two groups. It's a fallacy to say that Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 people got saved. Peter was talking to a group of people. Alright? And, you know, let's look at verse 38. It doesn't really have much to do with the sermon, but I don't want to pass it up. I want you to see it. In ver- you know, they asked in verse 37, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, there he says... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, some people like to take this verse and say, See, you've got to repent and you've got to be baptized for the remission of sins. You cannot get the remission of sins unless you are baptized. Well, look, if you interpret that verse in that way, you go against thousands of verses in the rest of the New Testament. Because the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament says that it's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It never says you've got to get baptized. In fact, it says that you don't have to get baptized. It says you don't have to do anything. The rest of the Bible says... So you've got to understand, when it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. That word for there in the English language, you know, uh, words in English, sometimes one word will have like seven different meanings. That word for being used in verse 38 is... You could replace it with this word, because of. Like, have you ever, you know, uh, they, they, they'll have these, uh, you go to the post office or something, and they'll have these uh, pictures up with, with somebody, and it'll say, wanted for murder. What are they saying? He's wanted because he murdered somebody. Because of murder. That's what the word for can mean. So when the Bible says, you know, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the remission of sins. Oh, that makes sense. That fits in with the rest of Scripture. Because all the way from Matthew, all the way to Revelation, in fact, all the way from Genesis to the way to Revelation, it's always believe, 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 faith, 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 not of works, not of works, not of works. So it wouldn't make sense to pick out, but this is what false uh, preachers like to do. They pick out one verse, they isolate it and make an entire doctrine ignore the rest of the Bible. When obviously if you just match it up to the rest of the Bible, you see, okay, so it's not that you get baptized to get the remission of sins, you get baptized because of, for the remission of sins. So, anyway, just wanted to explain that, uh, so hopefully that doesn't confuse anybody there. 
But, you, but, but back to what we're talking about. No, so we got to ask the question, what really happened at the day of Pentecost? Because we saw there that 3,000 people got saved. And look at, look, look at Acts chapter number 1, look at verse 13. Acts chapter number 1 and verse 13. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 1 and verse 13, it says, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. Look at what it says in verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the of names together was about 120. So the Bible tells us that they were, before the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit came down, before they began to speak with other tongues, the Bible tells us there was about 120 people assembled in this upper room. Look down at Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Now notice it said they, were, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. All 120 of them. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, notice it says all, what is that all? 120 of them. 12, 12 uh, apostles. The, the women were with them. The brother, the brother of Jesus. Other disciples. And the Bible says in Acts 2.1, it says they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And look at verse 4. And they were all filled. That, that, that all there means all the apostles, that means Peter, that means the women, that means Mary, the mother of Jesus, that means the, the, the rest of the disciples, that means the brothers of Jesus. The Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. They all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Look at verse 11. And when the people that were marveling, they said in verse 11, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So who were the ones speaking the wonderful works of God? Was it one man standing up and preaching the wonderful works of God? No, it was not. Let me tell you something. It was 120 soul winners all speaking the wonderful works of God. You say, why are you preaching the sermon? Well, here's what you got to understand. In America today, churches have gotten this idea that if we're going to reach the world with the gospel, you know, we're going to do it with some sort of a Billy Graham crusade. Or we're going to do it with some sort of evangelistic, you know, crusade. And here's how most people think, you know, we're going to reach the world by, by, by getting some big arco arena and filling it in with all these unsaved people and bring all these unsaved people. And then we're going to get some hotshot preacher, you know, some guy who can really lay it out there and he's going to come in with the Spirit of God and he's going to preach a sermon and three You know what happened in Acts? A church went soul winning. A church of individuals, of women, of men, of people, got filled with the Holy Spirit. They prayed and they fasted and they all went out and they all spoke with tongues and they all preached the gospel and they got 3,000 people saved. Let me tell you, people have this idea. I'm going to bring my unsaved brothers to the church and the pastor's going to get them saved. No, you get them saved. We can get them saved. What is God's plan for reaching America? Soul winning. Well, I think we should have an evangelistic service. No. That's not found in the Bible. And that's not what happened in Acts chapter number uh, 2. 
And if you look at, down at verse number 41, I don't know if your Bible has this, but my Bible will have you know, the, the little paragraphs when a new paragraph begins. Verse number 41 is a new paragraph. It's a separate thought from the thought before. And in verse 41 it says, And they were, that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. This was a great day where a church went out together. Filled with the Spirit of God. 120 people. Not one hotshot preacher. Not one guy standing up behind the pulpit and just preaching while everybody else just invited their unsaved friends and invited, you know, and, and brought all these people in together and put them in some, you know, arena somewhere and preached the gospel. 120 people went out and individually won souls. That's what happened. You said, what's the plan to, to reach the world? Well, what's God's plan? You know, what is God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel? Is it an evangelistic service? Let me ask you. Should we be packing Verity Baptist Church with a bunch of unsaved people so that I can preach the gospel to them and get them saved? Is that God's plan? No, it is not. Let me, let me prove it to you even more. Go with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. People have this idea that the pastor, his job is to preach the gospel. And I've, I've been to churches where the pastor preaches the gospel every Sunday morning. And look, there's something wrong with preaching the gospel, but... You know, if, if you came to our church for any length of time, you might have noticed, I never preach the gospel from behind the pulpit. I never have a service, you know, because people, you know, and let me show you why. Look at Ephesians chapter number 4. Look at verse 11. Say, what's the purpose of the pastor? To get, to, for you to bring your unsaved friend and he gets him saved. Well, look at Ephesians 4 and verse 11. The Bible says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So we're seeing here, he's talking about the people who are supposed to be ministering the word. Look what he says in verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What's the body of the Christ? The church. What is the purpose of a pastor according to Ephesians chapter number 4? Perfecting of the saints, edifying of the body of Christ. You know what I attempt to do with every sermon I stand up to preach behind this pulpit? Uh, you're trying to give the gospel so that the unsaved person that walks in can get saved. No, I'm not. That's the last thing I'm trying to do. You know what? You know what we do at Every Baptist Church? And, un- and we welcome unsaved people. Unsaved people are more than welcome to come here. We love unsaved people. But you may have noticed, this is what we do. At the end of the service, a new visitor comes in. The question we ask every visitor, do you know for sure if that's saying you go to heaven? And if they don't, then we get them saved after the service. But I don't waste every other believer. I mean, don't you, do you understand that it's a waste of time to bring believers to church week after week after week and all they hear is the gospel? You say, well, you ought not get tired of the gospel. Well, hearing the gospel over and over, you're not going to grow. You're not going to be edified. You're not going to be perfected. The purpose of church is for believers. It's the assembling of believers. It is for a congregation of believers to come together and we teach you and we exhort you and and the purpose is for the perfecting of the saints. That word perfect means to complete or to make whole. It's to help you be a complete, balanced, mature saint for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be not children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all uh, into Him in all things, which is... Uh, the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by 
by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Is God's plan for us, you know, because we got to understand, you know, we, we need to, if we're going to be a church that is well-pleasing God, we got to have ministries that are going to be well-pleasing God. It's God's plan for Verity Baptist Church to reach the city of Sacramento. Is, is it for you to bring in your unsaved relatives, loved ones, uh, co-workers, just get as many unsaved people as we can find, bring them in here, and then we're going to get some hot shot preacher, and he's going to come in and gonna get them saved. Is that God's plan? No, it is not. The purpose of the pastor, the purpose of the teacher, the purpose of the evangelist, the purpose of the prophet, the purpose of the apostle was for the edifying of the saints. The edifying of the body. The perfecting of the saints. So, so what is God's plan? Well, God's plan is not found in some book at a, the Christian bookstore. God's plan is found in this Bible. Let's look at it. Go with me to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. You know, if we're going to waste our time doing something, it behoove us to do something that's going to be worth something. And I would think, if I'm going to do waste my life doing something, I'd like to do what Jesus Christ did. How do I know what Jesus Christ did? Well, I look at what Jesus Christ did. Look at Mark chapter number 6. Look at verse 7. Mark chapter number 6 and verse 7. Matthew, Mark. Mark is in the New Testament. Second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter number 6 and verse 7. Look at what the Bible says. Mark 6, 7. And he called unto him the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, and began to send them forth, look what it says, by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. You say, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. No, that's what Jesus Christ does. Just because some cult takes his idea and does the same thing, doesn't make it bad. You know, people try to say, oh, you believe in the, in, you know, somebody, somebody told me, you believe in the Trinity? You know the Catholics believe in the Trinity? Well, you know what? The, the Bible teaches the Trinity, you know. Because I believe the Trinity doesn't make me a Catholic. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just because somebody else does something that is found in the Bible doesn't make it a bad thing as long as you can justify it in the Bible. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ took twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Look at Luke chapter number 10. You're there in Mark. Look at Luke chapter number 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter number 10. Look at verse number 1. Excuse me, I'm really thirsty tonight. Luke, chapter number 10. We saw there in Mark 6-7, Jesus Christ brought His 12 apostles uh, and and sent them out two by two. Luke, chapter number 10, and verse 1, takes place after Mark, chapter number 6, and verse 7. And in Luke 10-1, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed other 70. So now His group has grown. He started with 12. Now He has 70. And it says, And He appointed other 70 also. And sent them two and two before his face. Look what it says. Into every city and place whither he himself would go. So first Jesus starts with a group of twelve. Sends them out two by two. Later on in his ministry his group has grown from twelve to seventy. He sends them out into every city. Go go with me to Matthew chapter number 9. Look at verse 35. Matthew chapter number 9 and verse 35. Matthew 9, 35. I'd like you to see these verses. You know, we're having a Bible study or something, right? Matthew chapter number 9, look at verse 35. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 35, it says, And Jesus went about... Look at what it says. How did did Jesus spend this? People, people, you know, I I don't think it's that big anymore, but there was a fad at some point where people wore these little bracelets and they said, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, so let's think about it. What would Jesus do? I wonder how Jesus spent his days. Well, look at Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went about... 
all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He said, what did Jesus do for the three and a half years that he had a ministry on earth? What did he do? Here's what he did. Jesus had one goal, to go to every city, to go to every village in Israel, and preach the gospel of the kingdom. That's what the Bible says. Look at Luke chapter number 4, look at verse 43. Luke chapter number 4, and look at verse 43. Luke chapter number 4, and verse 43. The Bible says, Luke 4, 43, And He said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities. Also, for therefore am I sent. So Jesus saying, look, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities. Go to Luke chapter number 13. You're there in Luke 4. Look at Luke 13. Look at verse 22. Luke chapter number 13 and verse 22. Look at what it says. And he went through the cities and villages. This is Jesus Christ. Teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So what did he do? He went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. You say, Pastor Amen, why do you guys have this map of all these different cities in Sacramento? You've got Sacramento, you've got, uh, you, you've got uh, you know, the Natomas area, you've got uh, Citrus Heights, you've got Carmichael, you've got Elk Grove, you've got, uh, you know, I can't even think, Orangeville, you've got even West Sacramento there. Why is it that you have a goal where you want to go preach the gospel to every city? Well, I'm just trying to do what Jesus did. You know, I'm going to get one of those bracelets and say, what would Jesus do? I'm going to, I'm going to put it right on that mat. Just, I'm going to write right on top of it. What would Jesus do? You know what he'd do? If he had a ministry in Sacramento, he'd go to every city. He'd go to every village. And he'd preach the gospel. That's what he'd do. You say, you know, show, show me more Bible. Well, okay, go with me to Acts chapter number 5. You know, we want to learn about church history, right? Say, I'm, I, want, I want to learn about church history. I'm going to take a Bible college class. Well, you, just read the book of Acts. Can't get more church history than the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter number 5 and look at verse 42. Acts 5.42. The Bible says in Acts 5.42, look at what it says. Look at it, because I want you to see it. I don't make this stuff up. Trust me. If it was up to me, I would not spend, you know... Hours upon hours every week knocking on doors having people slam their, you know, the door in my face. That's not what I would do. But I do it because Jesus did it. And let me tell you something. People get saved. Does everybody get saved? No. But some do. Same with Jesus. Look at Acts 5.42. And daily in the temple. Look what it says. And in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So what was the New Testament church? What was the church of Jerusalem, that young church? What were they doing? Going to every house. Go to Acts chapter number 20 and verse 20. Acts chapter number 20 and verse 20. Commonly known as Acts 2020 vision. You say, well, what's the right vision for your church? Well, let me give you some 2020 vision for our ministry. Acts 2020 vision. It says... And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and I've taught you publicly and from house to house. What did the greatest missionary who ever lived, the greatest Christian who ever walked on the face of the earth, other than of course Jesus Christ, what did the Apostle Paul find himself doing? Here's what he did. He kept back nothing. He just preached what he believed. 
He said, I kept back nothing that was powerful unto you, but I've showed you and have taught you publicly, and he says, and from house to house. You know what he said? He said, I taught you publicly in a church service. He said, I preached the gospel in a church service, but when church was done, then I just went house to house, preaching the gospel. You say, Pastor Jimenez, what, what is God's plan? Well, I think it's pretty clear from God's plan that His plan for reaching the world is house to house soul winning. You say, well, is it the pastor's job? Is it the pastor only? Are we going to bring in some evangelists? Are you going to go out and find, you know, uh, see if Joel Osteen can come into town and preach some revival? No, I'm going to pray that God would give us maybe, maybe 12, maybe 70, maybe 120 soul winners, church members who say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to fast and I'm going to get the power of God and I'm going to go out and preach the gospel. Say, that's God's plan. And let me tell you something, God's plan is superior to any other plan. You know, I'm not against churches preaching on the radio. If, if you know, what to God one day, if our church grew, I, you know, I'd buy a radio station or however it works and just put sermon after sermon after sermon on the radio. I'd put my preaching on TV if they'd let me. You know, they're not going to let me because of the way I preach. You know, let me just give you a hint. If a preacher's on TV, do you think the television is controlled by God or by the devil? Do you think the television likes it when a preacher stands up and says, it's a sin to be a homosexual? you think the TV that goes well? If a preacher's on TV, it's because they're a liberal. That's why they're on TV. Because they're not preaching the whole counsel of God. I, if, I, if, I, if they put my preaching on TV, it lasts there maybe a day and a half before they took it off. You know, I mean, and that's the truth. You know, but I put it on TV if they let me. I, I, hey, I, I would do all of it. You know, I'm not against all these other things, but that ought not be our outreach. What's your outreach ministry? Door to door? You know, and, and God's plan is superior. You say, well, well, Jesus didn't have the television in His time. Jesus didn't have... Look, do you honestly believe that Jesus, the creator of the universe, could not have decided to be born in 2011 if He wanted to? You know, He chose the time for a reason. But here's why God... Let me explain to you why God's plan is superior. Because, let's say that I just... Our outreach ministry was just for, to put my preaching on television. Put my preaching on the radio, rent Arco Arena, hold a big party, you know, get some rock concert, some Christian rock group out there, and invite all these people in and preach the gospel. Well, even if I pack out, you know, I don't know how many people fit in Arco Arena. Does anybody know? Like 10,000 people maybe? 17,000, okay. Let's say that, I, that we pack out Arco Arena, 17,000 people with, uns, with the unsaved people, and I just preach the gospel to them. Or I get some preacher in and they just preach the gospel. Did we warn every single individual in the, in the city of Sacramento? Are there more than 17,000 people in the city of Sacramento? Yes, they are. So we don't warn everyone. But you know how we can warn everyone? Here's the thing. Everybody lives somewhere. See, I'm not, I'm not against, and I'm not against this. Please understand this. You know, these churches, they'll, they'll pass out invitations. They'll try to preach the gospel in front of Walmart. Well, here's the problem with that. And I'm not, against, I'm not saying you're a bad person. You're doing, I'm just saying, here's the problem with that. If that's your only source of, of outreach, here's the problem. Not everybody shops at Walmart. You know, we're going to go stand in front of Rayleigh. Well, not everybody shops at Rayleigh. But if you know what? Everybody lives somewhere. You say, well, what about the people that are homeless? Well, look, as we're, going, as, we're, as we're doing every door in Sacramento, as we run into homeless people, we'll preach the gospel to them too. But everybody lives somewhere. That's why his plan works perfect. That's why he said, and here's, here's the other reason why uh, Jesus' plan is superior to other people's plan. is because his plan gives value to the individual. I mean, just study Jesus Christ in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. When you see him preaching sermons, is he ever preaching the gospel to anybody? I mean, he's preaching against sin. He's preaching doctrine. He's preaching all sorts of stuff. 
But every time you see Jesus giving the gospel, it's to an individual. It's to a woman at the well. It's while he's healing a person. It's to one, it's a one-on-one community. Because you know what? Everybody's different. You know, go out soul winning with me, and you're going to find out that every door you knock on, every time you give a gospel, somebody has a different thought, somebody has a different belief, people have different hang-ups, people, and it's not fair to bring in 3,000 people, preach one sermon to them, they're all going to have different questions, they're all going to misunderstand everything. I mean, but as you reach individuals, you can give them that time. And you can, under, and, and you can, and you can, and here's what I do when I go soul winning, I answer their questions. I ask them questions, make sure they understand. You know, but, but I just preach one sermon. Well, somebody might have got it, somebody might not. You know, you don't know, but Jesus gave value to the individual. But here's why people don't like, here's why, here's why virtually no church, I mean, if you look up the churches in Sacramento and you're going to find very few churches who have door-to-door soul winning. Here's why. It's not impressive. It's not a show. There's no show to it. You say, well, in, in, the, in, in Acts, they had 3,000 people say, okay, that's true. But let's think about that. Okay? Before they had 3,000 people say, many years before they had John the Baptist come along, preaching and tearing up the... I mean, he was preaching. The Bible says people came in from all Judea to hear him preach. And he was just plowing the ground. Plowing the ground. And he was just preaching. The Bible says people were believing. He was baptizing multitudes and multitudes and multitudes. Then Jesus comes along takes the torch from there. He's preaching and he's preaching and, and he starts with 12, it grows to 70. At some point in two different occasions, he's preaching to groups that could be could number 20,000. He, I mean, he's preaching to 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And, you know, in two different occasions, he, he could be preaching to 10, 15, 20, 25,000 people. But then, at the day of Pentecost, how many, how many, you know, and then by the way, John chapter number 6, he preaches a real hard sermon and they all leave. Except for the twelve. He has a church split. And his five thousand member church goes down to twelve. And then from that moment till the day of Pentecost, there's a hundred and twenty of them. You say, you know, soul winning doesn't work. Well look, maybe we've just gotta plow the ground a little bit. Maybe we maybe we're gonna have to knock on all of Sacramento multiple times before we really start seeing the fruit. You know, because here's the thing God moves slowly. God because everything that's of value, you know, it it, it, it takes time. You know, it, it takes it, it takes a day to grow a weed, you know, in the in the yard. But if you want to grow a nice, you know, apple tree that's going to produce fruit, it's going to take years. It's going to take time. It's going to take nourishment and feeding and and, and caring for. You say, oh, well, the the church is so small and it's not growing and it's not. Well, look, I'm sorry that I'm not Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, and all the twelve apostles wrapped up in one and just had you know three thousand people after you know fifty days of ministry. It's going to take time. To find individuals, to preach them the gospel, to bring them to church, to teach them some character, to preach the Bible to them, to help them grow and mature. But here's the thing, as the church grows, then maybe one day, Verity Baptist Church will have a day. Hey look, I can promise you, if we had 120 soul winners who were filled with the Spirit of God, out preaching the gospel, we could see 3,000 people saved. But here's the problem. Nobody... Nobody wants to go sowing. And here's a challenge. You know, I try to end every sermon with like a challenge. Here's a challenge. It's obvious that door-to-door personal soul winning is God's plan. I mean, we saw there in Acts chapter 1, he says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea, and in Jerusalem, and, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, it's not, you know, all the different, Go ye therefore unto all the world, and preach the gospel unto every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. 
things whatsoever I commanded to you, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I mean, we have there those five different commissions that God gave. Uh, it's obvious that door to door, personal soul winning, confrontational soul winning. I'm not talking about being mean, but I'm talking about confronting people with the gospel. It's obvious that that is God's plan. But I've got this question for you. Are you involved in God's plan? Are you involved in God's plan? Because here's the thing. And I've been consumed with this thought lately. You know, I'm sorry, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to mention it again. God gave the church one task. To preach the gospel. And it seems like in most churches, that's the one thing we don't do. We've got this ministry, we've got that ministry, we've got, you know, everything going. We, we, we've got, you know, we're feeding this charity and we're, you know, planting trees in this country and we're building wells in that country and we're doing all these great things. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But we're not preaching the gospel. The one, I mean, could you imagine how embarrassing we're going to be when we get to heaven and, and, and God's going to say, how'd you do it? And we say, you know, oh man, we did good. I, I went to the services, and I, I was reading the Bible, and, and I, I, I bought groceries for this one lady. She needed help. And then I, I gave rides to this one guy. And he's saying, oh, no, that's all good, but, but, but I, I only asked you to do one thing. I should be a soul winner. And I, and I just got to ask this question. You know, you say, why are you an independent fundamental Baptist? Why don't you join the Southern Baptist Convention or any other? Why don't you join some other? Why are you an independent fundamental Baptist? Here's why. Because by and large, the independent fundamental Baptist churches are the churches that are out knocking on doors, preaching the gospel, getting people saved. And that's the one thing God told us to do. And I'm going to ask you a question. You, I don't know if you know this, but you're in an independent fundamental Baptist church. And you might consider yourself an independent fundamental Baptist but are you doing the one thing that might make you an independent from Baptist, which is going out and preaching the gospel? Are you doing the one thing that Jesus Christ involved his ministry in? Are you doing the one thing that the apostles involved their ministry in? Are you doing the one thing that Paul did, going house to house preaching the gospel? Because that's what it's all about. Well, I thought that I thought that at the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter preached and three thousand people got saved. Uh, I mean, study it up. That's obviously not what happened. One hundred twenty soul winners went out and got three thousand people saved. And what to God, you say, you know, uh, this church isn't very big. Well, look, Jesus started with 12. What to God, we'd have 12 soul winners who say, I'm going to go out and get the gospel. And maybe one day that'll grow to 70. Maybe one day that'll grow to 120. Maybe one day we will have 3,000 people saved. But we've got to start somewhere. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church, Father. Anybody, when we